Welcome into another edition of the Duck Territory Podcast. I'm Matt Pram. Eric Scopel is across the way. Hey, guys. Talking ducks and kooks. Uh, we got a fourth straight game for the Oregon Ducks against a top 25 ranked opponent. It started with Cal on the road. It started with Stanford, excuse me, at home. Then went on the road to California. They had a bye week. And then almost recently, the win over Washington. Uh, and now the, the Ducks are going on the road to Pullman. Playing at Martin Stadium, 4.30 kickoff against the top 25, 25th ranked team in the country, Washington State Cougars. Washington State 5-1, 2-1 in the Pac-12. Ducks 12th in the country, 5-1, and 2-1 uh, in the Pac-12. And quite honestly, Eric, for, for Oregon and for Washington State, this could be a game that has North Division title implications. You know, Oregon loses, they're probably out because there, there'd be two games back from Stanford. Uh, there'd be a game behind Washington. Uh, and, you know, obviously they need some help there. And then there are a game behind Washington State. Uh, if the Cougars lose this one, same deal. They're, they have yet to play Stanford. They have yet to play Washington. And they already have two conference losses. So we were going in thinking this was a big conference game already. It was a potential trap game. Uh, we can discuss that later. Sure. Uh, but the conference division race is on the line for, for both these teams, and neither of them control. Oh, I guess Washington State probably controls a little bit more of their destiny. They do. They haven't played any of the top teams yet. But Oregon certainly still needs some help to, to get back into the top spot. Yeah, if you want to simplify matters in your head, basically think about it this way. There are four teams that could still win the Pac-12 North conceivably in Oregon, Washington, Washington State, Stanford. Oregon right now is 1-1 one one against those teams. If they have a losing record against those teams, I think it's basically impossible for them to, to, to win the conference, barring those other teams losing a bunch of games. Oregon can't be tied with that group um, if that's the case. So, yeah, this is a huge game. It is a trap game, like you said, I think. I think there's a lot of people that are, go, are, are still feeling the high, and I'm not talking necessarily about the Oregon players, but certainly in the fan base, that are certainly feeling the high of, a remarkable win over Washington. We've talked about that, you know, a lot over the last week. But this is a tough game, and honestly, on paper, feels a little bit more challenging almost than last week. I know this is about the fourth week. You could have probably said that this game is more challenging than the previous game. But you look at Washington State; they do a lot of things that are just different. You know, that you just don't see very often in games. I think they throw the ball more than anyone they, that Oregon is going to play. They somehow get the ball out quicker than anyone Oregon <laughs> plays. because, And this is the craziest stat I've seen in a while. They've had 313 pass attempts this year, which is a crazy amount in six yeah. games. That's like 50 a game, more than 50 a game. And they've been sacked four times and have thrown five interceptions. That's insane. So, so they don't turn it over very much, and they never get sacked. Yeah, you can't get to their quarterback, and the ball gets out quick, and, so they, and they spread everybody around. Yeah, so it is. they're a challenging offense. And then defensively, and we saw this last week, if you, if you remember, or last year, if you remember, when, when Washington State came to Autzen, they move so much on that front. They are constantly, every single snap, basically, yep. before the, the ball is snapped, they are, are shifting. They are doing all sorts. There's a lot of movement. They're sometimes rotating. A guy, you know, they'll have four players up front, and a guy will drop back as a linebacker or vice versa. So they'll, they'll do a lot of things pre-snap. And last year, Oregon had five false start penalties in the first half in a home game against Washington State. This week, they go to Pullman, which you know it's going to be rowdy. Game day's there for the first time in program history, which we should say kudos. I think it's that Washington State deserves this. They've been a really consistently strong program under Leach. It's a really rapid fan base. Good on them to finally get game day there. But that's just going to add to it. Because I think you tweeted this yesterday. I think this is going to be an all-time game day atmosphere. I think the crowd is going to be ready. Um, it's a 4.30 kickoff. So, uh, you know, it's going to be drunk. Exactly. There are going to be some drunk fans. Maybe better than 7.30 where fans would be even drunk. Or maybe worse. If, yeah. I don't know. It depends on how you want to look at it. But this is going to be a crazy, you know, situation for this offense to go into. And with all that movement going on, you, you have to be careful not to jump off. You know, to be off on your cadences and, and, and to be jumping because it's going to be a challenging atmosphere for that. And as we said last year, where you've got a home crowd, so there's not really any sound, they had a hard time with it. Yeah, dating back to the middle of the 2013 season, ESPN's College Game Day uh, has had the Washington State flag fly throughout the show. The first appearance came October 4th, 2003 in Austin, Texas. And uh, two weeks later is when the streak began. It currently is at 216 straight appearances uh, it's really in their show, in, which was last week's show, Wisconsin-Michigan. Uh, there's a lot of ties here. Um, 
ESPN Game Days, this is their first trip, like you said. Washington State has played on the site of Game Day just once. That was in 2002. They lost 25-7 to at number 6, Ohio State. Mike Leach has been a part of four Game Day games. Uh, he's only he's won one uh, as the host in 2009 versus Texas, uh, number one Texas. And then this is the cool part here. Tim Brando, who's doing the play-by-play for Fox Sports, was the host of the very first ESPN College Game Day in 1993. Hmm. So that's right. He's here to, to call the game for Fox, and at the same time, kind of tie in the, the fact that Game Day is here as well. Um, this is going to be, I think, going into the season. I call this a trap game. Mm-hmm. I thought that look, Oregon was going to play Washington. They were going to play Stanford. Uh, they had a buy in between those games, but in four weeks, they played their two most toughest games on the schedule, uh, their biggest rival in Washington, uh, probably their sec- you know, their third biggest rival in Stanford in the league. And then they have to go to Pullman, a place they've always struggled against, against, I thought, a team that maybe necessarily wasn't going to be 5-1. and one. I didn't think that they'd be this good this quickly uh, after all the guys that they lost on both sides of the football. Uh, I thought this was going to be a trap game coming into it. I think with game day here, that helps. I agree. That helps Oregon because that gives the players, a, oh, my God, this is, you know, not oh, my God, but th- this is a big game now. We have to be up. We have to be ready. You know, the nation's going to be watching us. The game day atmosphere is going to be here. And then on top of that, Oregon's been through it already. They've been through the rigors of the extra attention that game day brings, the extra interviews, the extra TV time, the, you know, the national scope, the pressure that comes with that. Washington State, they've never gone through this. You know, Mike Leach has, has been a head coach for, for a couple for four games uh, in this game, but he's the only one on that roster uh, that's going to, and he's not even on the field. Right. Uh, the only guys on the field, none of them have any experience in this type of a situation. There's going to be a ton of pressure on Washington State going in. I, I think it's a good thing for Oregon because it, it justifies the opponent. You know, not that I think there was. Any concern that Oregon was going to overlook it, you know, but these are college athletes, and you know, bad games happen. I think this was just an opportunity for one to pop up. But now that there's that game day here, guys are going to refocus and redial in and treat it as if, hey, this is just as big as Washington, this is just as big as Stanford, because it, there's conference issues on the line, and on top of that, the confidence, you know, the entire country is going to be watching this game. And I think another element here is that if you're Oregon, you look at this game and you look at the rest of the schedule, and I'm sure that they're more grounded than this, but if you're a fan and you're looking at it, you go, this is the toughest game left, and honestly, after this, they're all very, very winnable. I think at Utah will be a challenging game, and I'm sure in about a month we'll be talking about similar, saying similar things about how this is a really challenging atmosphere, it's a tough road game, but... The schedule after Washington State is is really winnable. And and if Oregon wants to win the conference, they kind of have to run the table. At least that's kind of the expectation. They win this game. I think you look up and you can you could say Oregon could be a one-loss team after regular season ends. So there there are so many components going on here. And and like we said, this Washington State, I don't know if I've mentioned, Washington's won the last three games in the series um, and have been fairly dominant in, in doing so. Um, this is a tough game. It's a tough matchup. Oregon has traditionally had a hard time with what Mike Leach does, as has most of the conference. Yeah. I mean, they, there's a reason that they've had so much success there with, I think, what you would classify as probably a little bit less talent in terms of just the players in the field. I mean, Washington State's never going to have a top three recruiting class in the conference. They're just not. They're never, yeah, there just aren't. It's hard to get talent up there. It's, it's why Washington State is either going to be really good if they had good coaches. You see it in basketball and football. I mean, football... You go before Mike Leach, and they were terrible for a really long time. And then they had Mike Price in there that had some great seasons. And in basketball, they had Tony Bennett, who's a top-tier coach, obviously, at Virginia. He's always got them as a really good team. But outside of that, they've been terrible basically with every coach. So Washington State's in that situation where it requires elite coaching to kind of make up from the talent disparity because it's always going to be that way, I think. It's hard to get college athletes to want to live in Pullman for four years. As kind of mean as that says, I went to school in Spokane. I've been to Pullman quite a few times. It's not a place that is super desirable for young people to live, um, especially not for top tier. What's that? It's not. It can be lit. <laughs> they, they, they will party and drink a lot because there's not a lot else to do up there. But it's 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 certainly not Los Angeles. It's not Salt Lake City. It's not some of those places. So, um, but they do it because Mike Leach is a really really good football coach, and I think you know he probably is almost undervalued because the fact that Washington State can be 
contending with a team like Oregon that probably has 10 times more NFL caliber players on it. Not that, that Washington State has no players, but I think if you look at Oregon's roster, it's probably 20 plus guys that you could say have a chance to play in the NFL yeah. at some point. I think their best player last year defensively went pro and didn't get drafted. Exactly. Washington State doesn't have a lot of guys in the NFL. They don't have a lot of guys that are going to make rosters on this, you know, make enough rosters on this team. So it's not talent, it is schematic, and they are probably the most challenging team to prepare for just because they are so different from what Oregon sees traditionally from a weekend and a weekend basis. We got basis. Last year, or, or typically, I think the Oregon fan is, has been trained since you know the mid '90s, basically, or even before that, that Washington State is very similar to Oregon State. They're a doormat. They're not going to win games. You know, we've said this on the site numerous times that this is not your typical Cougar program anymore. No. Uh, Washington State is only a Pac-12 team with four shutouts in the last six seasons. They've shut out a team four times in the last six seasons. That's more than Stanford, and that's more than Washington. Each of those two schools have two. How many does Oregon have in that time span? I don't think Oregon has any. That's what I thought. Yeah, I don't think Oregon has one back until Arizona came here in like 2012 yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Washington State has won 10 straight home games. It's the third longest streak in program history. They're 15-1 and one at home in the last 16 games. Uh, they are good. They are a very good football program. I don't know if we can say that enough. And they've got guys uh, playing at a high level. I think no player has been more surprising and more impressive, in my mind, maybe in the conference, is their quarterback, Gardner Minshew II. He entered the le- he enters this week leading the country in passing yards at 403 yards, and he's seventh in passing touchdowns with 19. I think some of that's kind of dictated by how, how much they throw the football. Sure. Um, but... That's the second-best numbers under Leach at Washington State through the first six games of the season. Connor Halliday is the only guy who's, who's had a better year, and he was averaging 508 yards, and he threw for 26 touchdowns uh, in six games. And I think Halliday was part of those you know, Cougar teams that offensively, they were the, you know, some of the best teams in, in the country offensively. They just didn't have the defense to, to run with it, and they couldn't get the wins. Now they've, you know, they've taken maybe a little smaller step back offensively, but their improvements defensively are astronomical. You know, and going back to Minshew really quick, that's a if you were not an Oregon fan and you were just a fan of the conference or a Washington State fan, that's a pretty good feel good story. Obviously, I'm sure he was gonna, gonna. He was. I don't know if you know why he go ahead and run this. I was just gonna say after the Helinski story to have a quarterback step in and play like this. But go ahead. Yeah, I, you know the story better than I. He was going to go to Alabama to be a graduate transfer coach. Wow. He was willing to give up playing football so that he could get into the Alabama Nick Saban program tree, coaching tree, learn, you know, as a GA, essentially, at Alabama. And then all of a sudden, the you know, the Ryan Holinsky suicide happens. Washington State's in a situation where they need a quarterback. And Minshew has second thoughts about coaching because he realizes, hey, I could go up to Washington State. They need a guy to stabilize things. They need a quarterback. I think I could be that guy. And he's picked up right where uh, Lou Falk left off at Washington State. You know, I, I, he's put up huge numbers. He's, I mean, we went through it. He lead, he's, he's what, third in the country in passing yards, and I mean, passing touchdowns. Kalana uh, Apelu, Oregon senior linebacker today, even talked about how this is a guy that, you know, typically at Washington State, you think of quarterbacks that are pro style, you know, drop back. He can make plays with his legs. He's good enough to do that if, if need be. They're not going to, you know, roll him out triple option but no. you know he he can improvise and make plays with his feet even yeah it's it's just a challenging matchup because like we established it's really hard to get a pass rush against this team because unless you're unblocked they're going to get the ball out so quickly so he has the benefit of knowing he's probably not going to get hit a lot but he also has the challenges of realizing he has to be extremely decisive because that offense basically requires you to make snap decisions and so you know, it, it, not every quarterback can do that. You know, you can't. There are some guys that can be really great in one offense and not good in the other. And for, you know, Mike Leach to go out and find a guy who seems to be tailor made from everything we've heard from Leach, from Cristobal, from Oregon's players, from just watching and seeing the numbers at that junction where they were in a position where their their future quarterback, you know, had tragically passes away in the offseason. And it's kind of like, what now? Is, is, is again, I think it's a pretty good feel good story from that regard. And, Certainly, I think Oregon defensively, 
will have to do some things they aren't used to doing. You know, we watched practice today, and there were more guys that were defensive backs out there than we're used to seeing on certain plays. They're playing. You have to put more defensive backs out there. There's no other way to look at it. They don't run the ball very often, and you don't want to be in a situation where they have the numbers advantage because, the, frankly, they're going to beat you because they are they're so quick at getting the ball out and taking advantage of it. So this is, yeah, again, a really tough test for Oregon. Um, and, you know, talking with Oregon players, Javon Holland today, true freshman safety, got his first start last week. He said he's really excited because he's never played in a game where he goes against an offense that could conceivably throw the ball 70, 80 times in a game if necessary. Um, it's, you know, and I think looking a little bit at what Oregon needs to do, I think, I think the offense here plays almost just as big of a role as the defense in slowing down Washington State because – if I'm Oregon, I want to run the ball. I want to run some clock. I want to keep the ball out of their hands because this is a Washington State offense that if you give them 75 snaps throwing the football, they're going to find the end zone a lot. Yep. If you can limit that and cut that down to somewhere in the maybe the 40s, call that a win. Yeah. This Washington State team, they don't have really that one dominant offensive player that they, you know, like Oregon, for instance. Yeah, it's pretty clear now. They heavily rely on Dylan Mitchell in, in the passing game. Mm-hmm. They, they look at Herbert looks at Mitchell first, Mitchell second, and then goes through his wrestlers' progressions to see if if anyone else is open. Washington State's different. You know, they they don't have one guy that just stands out in terms of total yards per game, uh, all-purpose yardage. You know, they they've got like what is it? Five guys who it's, average 60 or more yards all-purpose. Yeah. All and they don't have one that goes over 91 yards. You know, So they're all in that 60 to, to 90 range of guys that put up you know, numbers. And you know, Jamal, I think it's, it starts with James Williams, the running back. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's going to be the key for Oregon because he's second in the team in receptions. He's first in the team in, in rushing yards. He's tied for the most uh, rushing touchdowns with five, which is pretty impressive. He's got three uh, receiving touchdowns, which is third on the team. Uh, his average is is pretty good for for yards per carry and you know yard after catch or receiving yards. Um, he's going to be what dictates things because he's kind of the safety valve. Like what when everything breaks down and no one's open, Washington State knows they've always got the dump off or the swing pass or the banana route or whatever you want to call it, the screen um, to, to James Williams in the flats and across the middle and stuff, and he can get you four, five, six, seven yards. If Oregon can, can prevent the big play o- over the top and then limit his impact on the dump-offs, that's going to be how I think they defensively they stop this team. I, I was also looking at the numbers. I think there are three different receivers that have had a 100-yard passing game in Pac-12 yeah. play. So that's three, three games, and they've had three different guys with the 100-yard Receiving game. So th- this is an offense, again, that has, I think Chris Paul said on Monday, they've got all the different guys. They've got the 6'3 guy who's a possession guy. They have the 6'4 guy who's a good jump ball receiver. And then they've got a five, the 5'10 guy who's a slot receiver. And between those three guys, I think it's, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Don Travian Moore, which is a weird first first name, or maybe it's Martin, uh, Des Patman, and then uh, Aesop Watson, I think, or Winston are the three, the three base receivers. Those are really good receivers. They, they do a really good job of, of kind of being versatile. And, they, and this is an offense that's just going to pose problems, and you don't necessarily know which guy it's going to be in from a game-in, game-out situation. One game, it might be one guy. It could be another guy different the next time out. So Oregon's got to be ready just to, to go out there and, and, and be in coverage. And I think you're going to see a lot more situations where Oregon you know, is not in a base defense in terms of the secondary. I think you're going to see five, six defensive backs at times. You're going to see different combinations of linebackers, guys that are more comfort, comfortable in coverage playing more. So I think defensively you're going to see Oregon do some stuff that they probably won't do the rest of the year, which is what makes it difficult. And one thing we've neglected is that Washington State's coming off a bye week. Yep. You know, we saw what kind of, you know. The impact it had for Oregon. I was going to say, it's not necessarily a direct correlation, but I have to think Oregon having a bye week and Washington um, having played, I think, five or six consecutive, six consecutive games coming in, I think that was an advantage for Oregon and with Washington State, and we talked about how good Mike Leach is, giving that guy an extra week to prepare uh, while Oregon plays a heartfelt and, and a hard win against Washington, that's an advantage that can't be completely overlooked either. So a lot of just pieces here that are sort of working against Oregon winning this game. At the same time, I think Oregon's more talented. I think they have better players. I think 
Oregon's A game is better than Washington State's A game. It's just a matter of, do we see that this weekend? Do we see Oregon come out and play like we saw them against Washington or Stanford for three quarters? Because if we do, I think Oregon can win this game and can do it fairly convincingly. We haven't talked about the injuries. We should definitely do that. And there is a big one for Oregon. Uh, Penny Sewell, the starting left tackle, uh, the number six best offensive tackle in the country, regardless of uh, regardless of class or left or right, is out for the next basically out for the regular season next yeah. next six weeks. Uh, Oregon has six weeks left of the season to play in the regular season, so he's basically done for the year. Could come back potentially for you know conference championship game if they play in it, and probably the bowl game. Um, that's a big loss because I think it's you know you, we saw it right away. With, during fall camp with how players spoke about him, with how Mario Cristobal raved about him. Penny Sewell was probably one of Oregon's better players overall on this football team. I think he, it's fair to throw him in the top 10, and I think he's probably closer to top 5 uh, than top 10. Um, Penny Sewell's out. In comes Calvin Throckmorton from the right tackle position over to the left. And in place of Throckmorton, that right tackle, they put in Brady Ayello. Uh, a junior who's got 13 career starts. He started 10 games as a redshirt freshman in 2016. Started two, uh, three games last year. He's played in every single game for Oregon uh, on the offensive line out, off the bench this season. He's the only offensive lineman that you can say that about that doesn't start. He's the only one that, that has played in every game. And everybody else, they've played in three or less football games this season. Uh, I take that back. I think Capra has played in four. Yeah. Uh, and, right. then, and then... Uh, Alex Forsyth has, has played in three. Everybody else has played in two or less uh, games for Oregon. So Oregon loses one of their best offensive players, and it comes against a, a team that, like we've mentioned before, they do a ton of pre-snap movement, and a lot of it is very, very late. Oh, and I didn't even mention that they lead the conference in sacks either. Yep. I mean, this, and, and, and I think they're number one in the conference at defending the pass statistically. They haven't played a lot of the high, heavy pass offenses. They've played, I think, Utah, Oregon State, and I'm forgetting the third team they've played in Pac-12 play. Uh, USC. USC. So they, they, and USC will throw it a little bit. But the, Oregon, I think, pr- probably presents, and I think Mike Leach would probably agree with this, presents the biggest challenge from an air, aerial perspective passing against them. But... Statistically, they've shown that they can rush the passer and get to the quarterback and that they can defend the pass. So this is, again, a defense that's really tough, and it's going to take Oregon, you know, being at their kind of the height of their games to win this. And I think there can be sometimes a cumulative effect of, of, like we talked about earlier, four straight games against ranked opponents. Obviously, Cal looks like a pretender now, and you wonder what Stanford is, but I think at the time Stanford looked really good. Or looked better than they do now, at least. But this is four games that they're coming into where they have to feel like they're up for it. And you kind of wonder if that plays an impact, um, especially with a young football team that hasn't been in the situation. I mean, nobody on this team has really been in a spot right now um, that they're in, besides guys that played in 2014, and most of those guys weren't big-time players. I should also mention on an injury front, Austin Fallu, um, who did play and I think played a lot against Washington has been fairly limited this week in practice. Um, the, la- the two days that have been open to media, he's basically sat off to the side. He did, I think, on Tuesday come over and participate in some drills, but today he was basically just riding uh, the stationary bike while we watched practice. So that that is a thing. They might not have him. And again, when you go against Washington State, you don't necessarily need to be, you know, you don't need maybe all your defensive linemen healthy just because you may not use all of them at once, but at the same time, he's a really good player and one of the more important players for that defensive line. Um, so, you know, Drayton Carberg, Gary Baker, Gus Cumberland, or even uh, three guys that will maybe be called. I think Cristobal said today, even Austin's younger brother, Andrew, who yep. I don't think we've seen playing a game yet, or if he has, it was early on. I don't think he's played this season. He has not played yet. Um, is, is another guy that is capable of playing. Sone Kava, uh, another guy. So there are some options, but... Something to keep an eye out with him. Um, other than that, the team remains, I think, fairly healthy. Darian Felix, I think, probably not available. Braxton Burmeister looks like he is available. He practiced for full um, both Tuesday and Wednesday, which is different than what we'd seen from him in the past. So Oregon fairly healthy. Um, and we should mention Dallas Wormack. You know, if you watch the game on Saturday and you haven't paid attention to the coverage of the team, he's practiced all week. The expectation is that he will play. I, don't think, play. I think it would be shocking if he didn't. It's kind of rare to see a team especially at Oregon, you know, with so few of injuries. But they're starting to hit. Yeah. Cristobal said, uh, he told me that they almost were at the crisis plan for the offensive line. They were one more injury away when 
Uh, Warmack was out and Penny Sewell was out against Washington. They had Brady Aiello at right tackle, Jacob Crapra at right guard, uh, and, and that basically left them with just Alex Forsyth uh, off the bench. So Oregon really can't sustain another injury along the offensive line, particularly at tackle, because I don't think they've got a guy now off the bench that they probably, if you gave the coaching staff true serum, that they would come out and say that they were 100% confident in in being able to withstand. They're confident that the, in the guy's potential and the guy can play for yeah. Oregon. But having to thrust him into a, a situation like this, they would probably say it's going to be a weakness in George Moore or Stephen Jones. Yeah. Um, neither of those guys have played more than two games. Um, and I think that's pretty telling when you know, Cristobal said at the beginning of the year they're going to play guys that are, that are ready and they want to expand the, the depth a little bit, and they're not going to play so many snaps. But those those guys have only been able to get on the field twice. Stephen Jones is probably, I think, the next one in line at, at, at tackle. Um, he took reps on Wednesday at left tackle. He took reps on Tuesday uh, at right tackle. They flip-flopped him and George Moore. So we'll see what happens. Chris Ball said they're mixing and matching. Jo- Jacob Capra's got some time at tackle. He also said Alex Forsyth. So this could come down to almost... Okay, who who becomes Oregon's sixth or seventh best offensive lineman if a ta- another tackle goes down at injury? And how do you how do you get your best five guys on the field? Does it involve Capra playing right tackle if if he's the fifth best guy? Yeah, and then that that would be my instinct. Is I think Capra is clearly the next guy in line from just an experience perspective, a talent perspective. Remember, it it was not a foregone conclusion when camp opened that. Dallas Wormack was yep. going to be the starting right guard. In fact, Capra was in position for that for probably the first two, maybe three weeks of fall camp before Wormack kind of overtook him. He's a talented guy. We saw him in, in, in the game against Washington. If you go back and watch it, they ran the play for the touchdown with Verdell right behind him, and he had the key, the, the, the key block to spring Verdell for the touchdown. So he's a, he's a capable player. Obviously, Tack is different than guard, though. You know, there's different nuances to it. and uh, it'll be interesting to see, but yeah, I, I would expect Capra would be next in line if there was another injury. Again, you kind of want to knock on wood because this is a healthy team, but they're starting to take some lumps um, on, up front on that offensive line for sure. The line here is interesting, and the betting line, the not betting, the offensive yeah, line. the betting line right. is, is interesting because it's it's gone back and forth. It opened as a three uh, three point favorite for was it two and a half, two and a half, yeah. two and a half point favorite for Washington State, and then quickly it jumped. I think to one and a half favorite for Oregon. It's now back. Uh, let me check one more time. Just re- reset everything here. It's back to being a three point favorite. So it's gone back up again for, uh, Washington, for State. Washington State. So I think there's a lot of intrigue and, and kind of uncertainty of who will win this football game. Uh, I will say this: I had more confidence in Oregon beating Washington than I did going in to this game. I, I originally, when we made our picks for the season. I had Oregon beating Stanford. They obviously didn't. I had them beating Washington, which they did. And then I had Oregon losing two games, but it was two road games. This one, this weekend, at Washington State, I thought it was going to be a trap game. And then later on in the season, at, in, uh, at Utah in November. And we'll have something on the site, kind of by commentary on this. But I think this week and the next couple of weeks will really decide the impact and the importance of of a historical standpoint of the Washington win. Because if if Oregon slides a little bit, say they lose to Washington State this week, they they lose uh, to Arizona next week, uh, another hostile road environment, and then they lose at Utah. That's four losses, and all of a sudden Oregon becomes an 8-4 and four team. And that Washington win goes, in my mind, to the same area where the Michigan game in 2000, 2003 goes when Oregon was cool, rich, 4-0, and then they proceeded to lose three straight games and fell out of the top 25, finished the year 8-5. and And I think that Michigan win is a big win, but historical context, it's not It's not in the top five. It's not in no. the top ten. And I, I think Oregon, you know, that Washington win, the way it was, the impact of two teams, the way it was played, evenly played, it could go down as a top five win in, in program history uh, at Autzen Stadium, but it, it has to have... 
the weight that carries with it of Oregon finishing out the season and, and having a big year. I think the thing that maybe makes you feel like this is a little different is we've seen Oregon deal with some adversity this year. That Stanford game could have gone one 100%. or two ways after that. That was a, as devastating. They could have lost the cow, and I would have totally. Shot. We, and we talked about that, I think, on that podcast of this is like setting up to be a real – you're going to learn a lot from this team. So I think you feel like this team has shown that they have a little bit more backbone. They've dealt with some adversity. You know, we didn't know how they would respond again. That Stanford loss was devastating. The fact that they lost that game, they had no business not winning that football game. But they turn around, they beat what we thought at the time was a good Cal team that's kind of been proven since that they probably aren't. And then to beat Washington, I think you take away that this team, when their backs have been against the wall, have kind of been able to respond. So I expect Oregon's going to play really well against Washington State. I also expect that if Oregon loses to Washington State this week, I think you're going to see them, I think they'll respond well against Arizona. Um, and I think it's I think it is Arizona State. No, it's UCLA the week after. Um, I think you'd see them respond well, but of course that's a situation that's kind of hypothetical at this point. But my sense, just from being around these guys, I think these guys have, have a little bit different makeup than the ones a couple years ago. Where in twenty you know sixteen we saw they lost to Nebraska and when they went for two a bunch of times they didn't get it and it seemed like things just completely unraveled. I we have not seen that from this year's team. I think they have enough veteran leadership, enough guys that really have kind of learned from being on those teams to to not allow the season to totally unravel. And and quite frankly, I think it's more likely Oregon finishes eleven and one in the regular season than it does that they would finish like eight and four. Yeah, and I think there's just as much questions in my mind you can say about this Washington State team and the fact that who have they played? I mean, they've they they USC's their one loss. Yeah, USC's their one loss, and they beat a Wyoming team forty-one to nineteen to open the season. Then they beat San Jose State thirty-one to nothing. San Jose State's terrible. Uh, I don't think San Jose State's won a game all year. No, Eastern Washington, an FCS opponent, they won fifty-nine twenty-four. Then they went on the road and lost to USC thirty-six thirty-nine. That was a game both sides questionable calls. On both ends that had impacts on the football game. Yeah. It could have gone either way. They, they pulled out a 28-24 win uh, against Utah. But quite honestly, I think Utah kind of shot themselves in the foot. We watched the end of that game. There was like three consecutive plays where they converted, where they were called for a penalty at the very end of the game. One of them would have set them up for the go-ahead touchdown. And then they went down to Oregon State most recently and won 56-37. to It's uh, a lot of points to give up. It's a lot of points to give up to an OSU team. Um and Oregon State's, you know, I think clearly the eleventh or the twelfth worst team in the conference. Then Cal probably. This is their biggest game, and I, I think you can maybe say, okay, USC is their toughest test. Utah, Utah looks better than it did now, you know, than it did at the time. Um, but I don't think either of those two teams are better than Oregon. They haven't seen a quarterback as good as Justin Herbert. They no. haven't faced an offensive line as good as Oregon's. No. They haven't played a receiver that's probably. As good as Dylan Mitchell, um, maybe you know, maybe someone at USC. Maybe yeah. USC. That's maybe the only one that you could say that for. Um, but I, from a production standpoint, they haven't. Mm-hmm. And USC doesn't have anyone that's you know outperforming Mitchell at least in Pac-12 play right now. Um, so my part of my argument is I think you know Oregon, like you said, they they have the better players, and it's going to come down to execution. And I, I think this is going to be a football game for the Ducks. You know, for them to win. I don't think they want it to be a game in the 40s. They want it to be in the 30s. They want Oregon to ball control, have the ball for 40 minutes out of the 60 minutes. You know, run the ball 50 times, 60 times in this game, and just keep Washington State's offense off the field and out of rhythm so that they can't get into that groove. And then, like, it's really cliche, but the start of the game is going to be huge. You know, if, if Oregon can go down and you know, get a stop defensively, or, and then go down and score on their first drive, or if they score on their first drive, they get the ball first, and you know prevent Washington State from doing anything. You know it's probably going to go Oregon's way. But if if Oregon comes out and say they lose the toss and they have to get the ball first, and they go three and out, and then Washington State rips off a touchdown in a minute, you know Martin Stadium's going to be going nuts. It's going to be going crazy. You know all the momentum shifts on Oregon, all the pressure shifts on Oregon, and that's the type of game where it could snowball pretty quickly. Yeah, I think Washington State has the potential to be a team that 
relies upon momentum more than other teams. Just because of how they play, and, and they're so unique, but when they get into a rhythm with that, that passing offense, um, it's different. It, it, they're, they're basically, their run plays are basically pass plays. So yep. when they are feeling it, and they're really in a rhythm, it's different when, you know, Oregon is, I think you can establish a running game even if you don't have momentum. I don't necessarily know with an offense like Washington State where you're relying upon you know, five to eight yard out routes and just short underneath stuff over and over again. If you aren't in your rhythm, it can get really ugly because you just throw a bunch of incompletions. You don't run in the clock. You turn it over and the other team gets the ball back. But if you are in a rhythm and they do get in a momentum, that becomes potentially problematic because if it's a situation where Gardner Minshew, I think it's like a 69% completion percentage. If he rattles off like 20 straight completions, it's like, it's that's devastating. And I think... Again, it is a rhythm offense. It requires consistency. And I think if, if Oregon lets him get comfortable, lets them get some momentum, like you said, and, and kind of gets them some confidence, the crowd gets behind them, that's where the game potentially unravels for Oregon. And, and it becomes Oregon suddenly is down 28-7, to 7 and you're going, uh-oh, this is going to require some incredible stuff to get have a chance to win here. Let's run through the, <clears throat> let's run through the, the spreads across the conference. We'll make our picks for Oregon in terms of covering the spread or not. Um, and then we'll relieve our picks uh, in their full entirety on Friday. Uh, Stanford, two-point favorite on the road. I think this is a Friday night game at Arizona State. Do we know if Bryce Love is playing yet? No, we do not know yet. Okay. Um, well, that makes things difficult. Yes. I I think I still like Stanford. I think they're coming off a of bye week. They've been really – I mean, honestly, they should have lost their last three games, the Oregon game included, um, and they obviously looked terrible against Notre Dame, looked terrible, probably even worse against Utah. My, my sense is that Stanford uses this bye week to kind of regather and, and kind of figure things out. I think they win this game. Arizona State, to me, I have no idea what you're getting week in and week out from them. They've been kind of up and down. I think they're talented, but I just don't know if they're consistent enough right now. So I don't know if this really impacts your decision, but uh, today it just came out. Bryce Love is close. He's closer than he was last week, per David Shaw. So we still, we still have no idea. We still close have no is, idea. Close is, is, is a total, yeah, that's a cop-out answer. Okay, well, I, I still like Stanford. I, I think um, if Bryce Love plays, that, to me, really impacts things. If he doesn't play, then it becomes tough. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick Stanford for, for the moment. David Shaw is the most like non-committal guy ever, because this is a full quote. It's hard for me to use the NFL uh, vernacular and say probable, but whatever. That's just what. But whatever is just less than probably probable will be what Bryce is. Is that questionable? <laughs> is that but what is that like a prob prob questionable? I think it's questionable. Okay. Uh, I'm picking Arizona State. Yeah. We're different here. Um, I think ASU is going to pull off the upset, straight up win. Um, By the way, you have the momentum in the picks. Last week, I, I went one for four. I, I picked Washington, or I think one and three, because I picked only four games. And you, I think you got, you might have gotten all your games. I'm pretty right sure I went, week. I went all, all the way across. I think you got them all. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull. I don't know about the spreads, here. but I know I got them all in terms of. I'm gonna pull up, or I've got a little stat sheet here of it. Um, keep going with the stuff, but I'll tell you what we have. Uh, so next week, the next game on the schedule, UCLA is a five point favorite uh, at home against Arizona. Khalil Tate is not playing in this game. Does that mean it's Rod- Rodriguez, Rhett Rodriguez, yes, Rodriguez. son of Rich Rodriguez, who's somehow still on the team, even though his dad was ousted in like bizarre fashion? Yes. That's a weird... By the way, that's just weird. That's a little sad. That has to be one of the weirder stories, that your dad is relieved of his duties for some not-too-good stuff, and you just stick around, and now you're the starting quarterback... That's just a weird dynamic. I can't imagine that's like the most favorable situation to be in. Um, but to his credit, um, obviously he stuck around, and now he's in position to to start a game. Um, I, I I really don't I really don't like either team very much. Can I say that? And <laughs> yes. my my instinct is, I think you're seeing some momentum from the chip the fighting chip Kellys right now. They've fighting chip Kellys. <laughs> They've, by the way, you did get all four right last week, Woo! but uh, and you got all of them, I think, against the spread, correct as well. I went one. Damn it! I should have bet some money. You should have put some money down. Um, the one time I didn't put money down, <laughs> you do bet every week. I, I, I get a lot of money. He does bet every week, um, but you saw, I think, Chip Kelly. Uh, they've kind of it's been a slow developing thing. That they were terrible for the opening part of the season at Colorado. They played a really good half. It was tied at half. Didn't play a good second half against Washington. They were in that game until the very end. It was a seven-point game. It was a, a situation where there are a couple plays from maybe 
pulling off a huge upset. I think the line was like 21 in that game. They lost by seven. And then last week, they go to Cal, who again, I think is terrible. I think they might be the worst team or the second worst team in the conference. And they just put it on them, 37 to seven. I think you're starting to see UCLA kind of put some stuff together. I'm with you. I think Arizona's got so many questions that it's bizarre, by the way, that UCLA is, uh, who's like one, one in five right now, is a five and a half point favorite, did you say? Yes. Against another team in the conference on the road, right? That's bizarre. But yeah, I'll take UCLA. I'm taking. <laughs> Long way to get there. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of exposition and context, but I yes, got, I, got, I got there. I got there eventually. Uh, to keep it short, yeah, I'm taking UCLA here as well. Without Khalil Tate, I don't, I don't see Arizona putting up much of a fight offensively. Uh, maybe they they go through a, a crazy boot camp and you know they they look entirely different, you know, schematically, offensively, and that changes things. But even if they do pull that off, they're probably not going to look very clean because they're going to have to you know cram so much information in real quickly. Uh, I'm taking the Bruins five point favorite. Uh, I also will take them straight up. Um, we'll say Washington State, Oregon for last. Uh, this is a surprising one. Maybe it's because of injuries. Uh, Washington at home, 17-point favorite against Colorado. Mm, I know. Chenault is not playing. And that's it. very significant. I, 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 let, me, let me double check. Yeah, check that for on me. On Chenault. But I know that he was... At one point, not playing. And if you aren't familiar with LaVisca Chenault, and you probably haven't watched Colorado very much if you're, if you're an Oregon fan because they don't play them this season, Chenault might be the the right the current favorite for Pat Toll Offensive Player of the Year. He's scored a ton of offensive touchdowns, both running the ball, catching the ball. He's been tremendous um, in terms of, I think he beats the conference in receptions and receiving yards. He is certainly a top-tier player. So his, his availability in any game is a significant thing and, and could potentially be the difference maker for, for Colorado, who... I think we saw come back to earth last week um, against USC. I picked Colorado. I was on the Buffalo bandwagon, but USC kind of put it to them. I know it didn't look as dominant. I think it was a 31-20 final score, but it was like 28-7 with six minutes to go in the game um, before the Buffalo scored a couple kind of garbage touchdowns um, to kind of make things look more interesting. Status is just uncertain. Uncertain. Okay. No one well, is really I, saying much. Here's, you know, and it doesn't really impact things too much. My, my thing is, I think Washington's going to win. I don't know if Washington is capable of, of covering just because I have not seen this offense look quite right yet. And I think Colorado's going to score enough, even without Chenault, because I think Montez is pretty good, um, to make it competitive. I don't think Washington, I think Washington's a team that's going to win. When they win games, it's like, Seven to fourteen points. Yeah. They're not going to go out and just beat someone by, 20, you know, twenty-eight points. I don't think, and and I could be wrong this week, and maybe they'll show something because you know they're going to be angry after losing that game. One hundred percent. They're also going to be beat up. They're also beat up, but I and both teams are beat up because they both play tough games yeah. that really, you know, these are two teams that could have taken control of their divisions with wins last week, and, and both failed. teams lost. So um, a lot of things going on from that regard. I think I take Washington to win. I don't take them to cover. I'm taking Washington to cut to to win, obviously, and then I was gonna do if he does play, then that. If he doesn't play, then that. But I'm just gonna say it straight up: Washington will cut her. Yep. I think they I think they find a way to win by 17 points. They're gonna be pretty pissed off. Uh, Colorado is not gonna be the same type of Colorado football team without Chenault, even if he's 50 percent, 60 percent, 70 percent. He's he makes up so much of their offense, and if he's dinged up even just a little bit, that's going to be a factor. And then on top of that, Washington's got – they've got the dudes in the secondary, I think, to kind of True. You know, do a three-on – you know, two-on-one type of deal, bracket coverage, and just kind of you know, make somebody else at, on Colorado's roster beat you. And I don't think they have that guy uh, that can consistently do it against Washington's secondary. Cal, seven-point favorite on the road at Oregon State. I think that speaks volumes of how bad OSU so these are the, is viewed. These are, in my opinion, by far the two worst teams in the conference. You know, and I think Cal's offense. I mean, and I would, I would have said last week UCLA was in there, but the fact that UCLA just went and beat this team by thirty points. Cal's your Cal's offense is horrible. We talked about it on our radio show, which we should maybe pimp, pimp out right now and say that we do a radio show on Sundays. Not this week. We have a scheduling conflict. But we talked <laughs> about this, and Cal is the – I don't know when this has ever happened. Cal has had three different starting quarterbacks they've run through, and they haven't had no injury issues. There's no – they've just – it's been coaches' decisions that they went from Ross Bowers to Chase Garbers to now Brandon McElwain. And if I'm the – they might start a different quarterback this week because McElwain has been terrible. He was – 
pretty good on the. He was great against Oregon on the ground, but terrible through the air. He was awful against Cal or UCLA last week. I think he had like four or five turnovers. They just have no answers at quarterback, and and their defense is okay. My sense is Oregon State, which is which is coming off a bye week here. I think Oregon State's fired up. I think they know this is maybe the only winnable game on their schedule, or the most winnable game at least on their schedule. I think you're going to be surprised. I think Oregon State's going to win, and I think they're going to win fairly decisively. Let's just look at this for a second here, okay? So Cal's scoring oh, offense is terrible. 11th in the conference, 23 points per game. UCLA is the only one worse than that at 21. Oregon State is fourth at 31.5. They average 8.5 more points yeah. than Cal does offensively. Total offense. Oregon State is third in the conference at 453 yards. California is ninth at 393. You want to break that down to yards per play. Oregon State falls to seventh. California drops even more to 11th. Seven points on the road is just mind-boggling to I me. Think, I think that's disrespectful to me. If you're, if you're well, Oregon, it's Oregon State. I mean, I'm, I know I'm not trying bad. to say that negatively. Well, I know, but I'm, no, I'm, I think, no, but I think if you're Oregon State, you feel disrespectful a little bit because this this Oregon, this Cal team just lost at home to a winless team by 30 points, and they come to your place. I know Oregon State's not great. We, we've, they're not very good. But I, I think I, I'm surprised it's a seven point. I was not surprised Cal was favorite. Seven points seems like a lot. They have to be thinking, Vegas has to be thinking that it's because of the defense. Because, you know, Cal's defense is fourth in the conference. They give up just 334 yards per game, just 4.91 yards per play. Oregon State's defense is putrid. 541 yards, 7.3 yards per play. They must be thinking. Cal's offense is bad, but because Oregon State's is like god awful. So, so the analysis is Cal has the worst offense in the conference, and Oregon State's is pretty good. Uh, Oregon State has the worst defense in the conference, and Cal's is pretty good. So it's really bad. It's going to be like it could go either way. We have no idea what's going on here. There's two terrible teams basically playing each other. I still like Oregon State. I'm taking Oregon State straight up. I'm also taking Oregon State against the spread. Obviously, yeah. Uh, I think Oregon State might win by two scores. That's what I said. I, I, I think it's going to be decisive. I think Cal sucks. Utah. At home, six-point favorite against the USC Trojans, a game that's going to basically dictate the Pac-12 South Division title now. USC wins. I think they have a two-game lead on everybody. Yeah, USC can kind of wrap it up this week. Yeah. It's six points Utah's favorite? Yes. I am buying into Utah. I, I think Utah, and if you go back to that Washington game, that game was very winnable. There were a couple questionable calls or a couple things that just didn't kind of go their way. They showed against Stanford that they can do more things offensively than I was. I thought they could. I think Utah right now, to me, feels like the best team in the South, even though they're. I think they've only won one conference game. That Washington State game was same thing. Very, very winnable. We, we, we talked about it earlier. They had a couple opportunities that were negated by penalties. My, my sense is that US, Utah knows. Utah can't win the conference or the division if they lose this game. Point blank. You're not yeah. going to win the three losses. I think Utah wins, and I think they cover. I'm taking Utah as well. Um, I think they win. I think JT Daniels at home is pretty is pretty good at USC for quarterback, freshman quarterback. If there's a, a game for USC where it's at home, I'm, I'm taking USC. But on the road, JT Daniels hasn't performed very well. Um, True. Utah defense is pretty good. I, I, I think USC has the better players. I think Utah is better coached. And they're tougher than USC is. So I'm, I'm taking Utah... The points, six, and straight up. Last but not least, Oregon-Washington State. Oregon's a three-point underdog going into this football game. Uh, where are you falling in terms of this? This is the toughest one of the week. I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. I, I, I could really see this game going either way. Um, I think Oregon has, you know, last week I picked Washington. I drew a lot of crap for that. I was told to apologize today on our Facebook Live because fans are still unhappy with my selection. Um, I and the reason I picked Washington to win is I wasn't sure if Oregon had what it would required to to finish games against good teams. I think we've we've learned that they can do that. I think they've shown enough. I know there are still some things they have to work on. I think they're going to go into this game. I think they're they're more mentally prepared than they have been in a while to play in this game, and I think they're going to win. I don't think it's going to be super decisive. I think this is going to be a, a very competitive game. I think they're going to win by probably. You know, one score, and it's going to probably be three to four points, but I think they'll get it done, and I think this is going to be, again, a very entertaining football game, just like the last two big games they played against Stanford and Washington, where they went to overtime. I don't know if this game goes to overtime, but I think this is a game that, the, the, the you know, the 
outcome of the game isn't determined until the last four or five minutes. I picked Oregon to lose this game at the beginning of the year. Um, on Wednesday morning, I woke up and told myself they were going to lose. That was going to be my pick. Uh, I don't know what it is. I've done a 180. Oh, boy. I've convinced myself that Washington State hasn't played a real quality opponent that's similar to what Oregon is. I think Oregon has the better offensive and defensive lines in this football game. And I think because of that, Oregon's going to try and run the ball and run the ball and run the ball some more and really just suck the air out of the ball. I can't explain your pick. You saw all the crap I was getting on Facebook Live and you're like, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want that. I don't want that. You're sticking with the Ducks. 100% not. <laughs> you don't want, you don't want I got a thicker skin. I had, no three, offense. I had three people told me I was supposed to be, I should be fired <laughs> for my pick. So you, <laughs> yeah, I'm job security all the way. Uh, you can take job security <laughs> over your, your, your picks. Uh, I think Oregon's going to win this football game. I think it's going to be close, like you said. But I think they, they find a way. And I think it's going to be ugly. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be exciting. Uh, I think Oregon fans are going to come out of that one thinking, why the hell did they not throw the ball more? And what's up with the stupid runs? Da, 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 da. But I think the runs is what's going to save them in this game. I, I think they win something like 37-34 to 34 or something of that nature. It's going to be close, 37-30 to 30 or something like that. Uh, I think Oregon wins, so they obviously cover. Uh, that's my pick. And I'm not going to change it, and I'm going to regret it because I don't have a lot of confidence. In it. <laughs> You're going to, you might not regret it. You may be like like a genius on on Saturday. No, that's going to do it for us on the DuckTerritory.com podcast for Eric and myself, Matt Prem. Thanks for listening. Go to iTunes, like us there, give us a review, share the podcast, grow the network a little bit. Uh, go to the go to DuckTerritory.com for more uh, pregame coverage leading up to this event. Eric and I, and also Alec, uh, will be at this game. Live, we'll be covering the uh, the Ducks game at Washington State, 4.30 kickoff, games on Fox. Stick with us. Go to DuckTerritory.com for your pregame, your in-game, your post-game coverage. We'll have it all, video, photo, analysis, quotes, everything that you would want uh, after that game, win or lose. Uh, we'll bring you the scoop. So go to DuckTerritory.com for more, and please go to iTunes and like us on iTunes as well. Thanks for listening, and next time we'll talk to you is Saturday night. Hasta la vista.